0: Listeners, welcome back to the Lost Impostulation podcast. I am joined by it's not why, it's why,
1: it's not what, it's what, it's Neil Fitzpatrick. Oh, wow, or should I say wow? I think I might need an explanation. This is probably the first <laughs> intro where I've been fully flummoxed after In the it. dark, huh? Yeah. Yes. Can well. you shed some light on this? Pronounce
0: what? what pronounce why why white white uh, yeah almost yeah. white i do white you do white yeah, yeah, there yeah. it is so you my friend you oh, take no. the silent h mm-hmm. you invert it with the w yeah, yeah
1: and yeah, you yeah. give it a sound white you aspirate is this me personally or do you mean my my countrymen of ireland well both. Okay, okay, okay. It's actually, hard. the whole British Isles. Because yeah. then I did a bit of research, of course. Ah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. In the Old English, it actually used to be that way there wasn't this yeah there wasn't this notion of the as an expert linguist that i am Mm, you know mm, mm. this notion of the silent h after the w that's something that came so you guys kind of still linger with that apparently whereas the americans
1: don't well i can tell you with certainty in school we were told wh is a sound and you can you can hear the the air coming into the microphone there and specifically not a w and it was it was taught that Mm. way so i i didn't know any better basically it's only really after i left Ireland, probably that people started pulling me up on it of course there was a family guy clip as well you might have seen you know the the mm-hmm. cool whip thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. where uh cool whip. yeah where yeah. brian is like say cool cool say whip. Whip. whip and then stewie says cool whip like that yeah uh yeah but I, i'm aware of it i yeah. just never really thought about it Jeez. of all i feel like my accent has many uh, chinks in the armor for people to attack and that's certainly not the first one i would go for mm. my old irish accent but still much appreciated. No, all but it's same.
0: nice. And of course, I came at it from a highly critical <laughs> angle in the beginning. And then I did Somewhat. my research. And yeah. actually,
1: it's true to form. That's good. There's something wrong about it. That's good. I, th- I feel like saying it was objectively wrong would be overkill. That would be overly harsh, I would say. Right. It is just an unusual quirk of the language.
0: Right. But the Americans, which I include myself amongst in that mm. bubble, mm. would make fun of it because they wouldn't know otherwise. They would. Among mm. many other
1: things, they do love a funny <laughs> accent, if nothing else. Yes, yeah. they do.
0: They do. But here we are once again. This is our 18th episode. Oh my God. I can scarcely believe it myself. We've spent a lot of hours together in the last uh, six months. Together,
1: us too, but also together
0: with our listeners. Absolutely. And listeners, they keep coming back. They keep growing. And for any of you that are new here, uh, you can also help us to grow the podcast by giving us a rating on the podcast app, clicking subscribe so you can ensure you keep getting the podcast. Sending us whatever you want to our email, lostimpostulation at
1: gmail.com, or tweeting at us, Way or Neil? Uh, that would be at impostulation on Twitter. And I have one more request I Ooh. just came up with right now. It's a, it's a new initiative I'm calling Recruit a Postulator. And what it means is if you have found yourself <laughs> becoming a postulator yourself, if you've been enjoying postulating along with us, maybe even sending in your postulations, mm. why not recruit someone who you think would be a promising postulator? So we're looking for high pos. We're not looking for j- any old postulator. We want you, the listener, to go out and find us the best postulators we can. Uh, we trust your opinion. We trust your judgment. We know you'll find the best ones for us. So please, listener, recruit a postulator today.
0: I love that previously unaligned initiative that you brought up. I think oh, it's fantastic. It, it didn't exist thirty seconds ago, so
1: it. don't worry. It, there's a reason it wasn't aligned uh, in advance. And,
0: and while you're at it, Ooh, listeners, like the while there, yeah, you can. Uh, we will feature these
1: postulators directly on the podcast we so. love to i mean it's been for me one of the highlights has been bringing them on whether that's through audio clip whether it's through the emails the tweets what have you and uh, we love to have them on yeah and
0: we've had an entire episodes inspired by listener postulations we plan to to keep doing so and just uh just building on it. yes sir so here we are neil you've come with a mundane postulation.
1: Sure have. And this was one actually that, uh, as with much on this podcast, came up off air, offline, first and foremost. And we almost had to stop ourselves and say, wait, 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 wait. save it for the podcast, because <laughs> this is like prime mundane opener topics. So we were out for dinner uh, very recently, and we got into the topic of Google reviews, and specifically the star system on Google, where we have anything actually ranging from one, and you, you do see places out there which have ones and twos and threes, and more commonly, the kind of four, 4.2, 4.3, and mm-hmm. then you do have some places out there with 4.7, 4.8. So some crazy high reviews and a lot of, a lot to talk about within this system. Right. So many angles to address this from, but I think the most interesting for me personally that I can use myself is the question of how do you specifically decide where to go based on Google reviews?
0: Okay, so first things first, I think about four or five years ago is when i really got into the google map mm. and it's now my best friend yeah and not so much on the direction side mm. but really on on this side of things on the reviews on the stars on everything i'm at the point where whatever city i go to i'm marking every single place i go to when people ask me for recommendations it's super easy i just mm. shoot that mm. over i'm able to you know go somewhere and look for the little green flag of the want to go and and check that out So big fan of it, just in principle. Now, how do I approach it, especially with restaurants? I look at so when I click in, I look at two things, of course, the stars. Right. Mm -hmm. And my threshold there, I'd say, is around anything 4.2 and above is very healthy, is something that I know has had a good track record from Mm -hmm. my experience and it's a safe bet where you also don't need to investigate or, or dig too much deeper or ask anybody else about four to 4.2 is still okay. Mm. Anything below a four there's there's a stigma yeah. in my head. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So that's on the stars. Then the other component you have to have is the volume of reviews it's mm. gotten. Right. Mm. Because if it is a 4.8 or 4.9, but it just opened and it's got 10 reviews, Early traction could be good, but you're still taking a bit of a gamble, right? Mm -hmm. So I think in terms of the absolute number, probably what I look for is something that's had at
1: least 100 reviews, right? Yeah, yeah, So. That's kind of how I how I approach it. Yeah, what about you? Solid, yeah, solid system. Like I've had huge success religiously following this and being qu- quite an extremist yeah. on the Google reviews. Actually, so we're like you when we go somewhere. Four point two is the cutoff. I can say that I have never had a fantastic experience in a place that turned out to be below four point two. Right. So I, I I can't think of one example where I've gone to a three point eight or a three point nine and come away feeling huh? actually that was mm. a that was a 4.5 you know like right. they really they really do earn their three point somethings i mm. found yeah um but at the same time there's one other thing to watch out for which is the fake reviews now yeah with the 4.8s those 4.9s th- sometimes it, it is a little too good to be true uh the best example i've seen was we were in i think it was madrid or barcelona anyway one of those cities where we were looking for a pub crawl to join and you just search you know madrid pub crawl and about 10 of them come up on google okay yeah. and all of them are like 4.9 Mm, (laughs) 5.0, 4.8 with like 200 reviews, 300 reviews, okay. five, 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 yeah. all the way down. But as you scroll them, and as you actually move your way down the list, it's right. from John L. with one review on Google, from Sarah M. with mm. one re- re- review yeah. on Google, and yeah. instantly it becomes clear what's going on. So then my trick is, the one that I that has kind of gotten me around this, is mm. sort by worst, sort by lowest to highest review. Mm-hmm. And in this example that I'm talking about, we read an absolute cracker of a review for the pub crawl, which was from some guy who, <laughs> who gave it one star and his, the whole text Brutal. of his... The whole text of his review was, I tried the pub crawl and I didn't like any of it. (laughs) Wow, <laughs> and that was the whole review. So we kind of, yeah, powerful stuff. I love the simplicity. So from that moment, we were like, right, this is probably full of crap or full of fake reviews and probably not a good pub crawl. And we made our own pub crawl in the end. Uh, side note, that was great. But Lovely. I think you can see that, you know, the system has a lot of value, but you do need to approach it with a bit of caution. Mm-hmm. Yeah?
0: Mm-hmm. And do
1: you contribute? So do you star yourself every place you go to and write a little review? I almost never star, and I almost never write reviews. The only exception <laughs> is a now deleted review so don't go looking for it but uh I was I went to a an Irish bar in Stockholm Orlando Airport Terminal 5 yeah. which turned out to be the simply worst restaurant experience of my life or one of them at least just like from moment one it was terrible and my flight was delayed so I had like 2 hours to kill so I I sat in the gate and spent probably like 45 minutes writing a real prosaic you know lengthy wordy <laughs> review like really getting into the descriptors uh all this kind of stuff it's now gone listener i deleted it because this is this is the big problem i have when i leave a bad review which i have sometimes done for mm. emotional reasons within a week or something i feel bad and i come back and say okay like maybe that's I, I don't classic want, you yeah and it's like i don't want to i don't want to take away this person's livelihood like yeah, you don't want to crash their business yeah right? i'm i'm not going to to um frequent their business again but that doesn't mean nobody should you know like so yeah but it is a it's a dog-eat-dog world out there and i know all the restaurants are leaving each other bad reviews around the place so it's it's really uh yeah
0: it's a tough game it's intense right it's a dog eat dog personally i used to never give stars or comment then the more i used it i felt like you know i can't really free ride on this Hmm. but i found myself only really doing it when i was triggered by something really bad yeah and then there i was also like okay but this isn't fair this isn't how the the system should work right Hmm. so now i'm trying to hold myself accountable yeah and uh, it's not so easy what i what I do because it's in my interest is I'm always like flagging all the places to return to. I put the mm-hmm. little heart on it, but that doesn't actually help the
1: restaurateur. So I really no.
0: need to kinda build that that muscle there.
1: Exactly. Yeah. But then again, like if you go to a place that's clearly doing fine, that's absolutely booming, that's hard to get a table. I wouldn't feel too bad if if I don't leave sure. a review there because they're sure. whether I do or don't like they're gonna be fine. Yeah. You know, it's it's more like these little startupy kind of places. There was a, I went to one or two little food wagons in Copenhagen before where they actively said we're like, hey, if you like it, please do leave a review because we've got none right now. <laughs> so a bit like this podcast, actually, listener, if you would <laughs> wouldn't mind giving a review, we would really appreciate <laughs> it. We are still uh, racking up those reviews, and it really does help. So uh, yeah, yeah, amazing stuff. Do you have any different approach when you're looking at hotels instead of restaurants? Uh, well, Well, the one thing I don't like about Airbnb, which we've sometimes tried, is you can't sort by worst, right? That technique Mm. I just talked about.
0: On Airbnb itself. Exactly. So if you're
1: looking at a a thing which everything on Airbnb has 4.9 or whatever, so already you've got star inflation there. Mm -hmm. But then you have to really go down through the reviews. And I think there's a little bit of like awkwardness in Airbnb. People hold back a little bit. Like... They say things like, hmm, wasn't wasn't phenomenal, but definitely recommend our next, you know, like it Mm. it seems that people are like hiding something, you know, holding something back. So what we often do then is we go to Booking or Agoda, depending on what part of the world, it Mm -hmm. seems like they kind of have different coverage. And then also sort by worst. But then you kind of get all sorts there because sometimes people are like, uh, I got a massage in my room and the masseuse, uh, was, uh, a little too gentle. One star, you know, yeah, and there's like, so much more that can go wrong yeah.
0: in a hotel stay yeah. than in the two hours you're at a restaurant.
1: right? Also like that also, I mean, yeah, it's true. Like, and ultimately, yeah, you, you're, you can have your holiday properly ruined by a bad hotel mm-hmm. it's stuff getting stolen or like just a horrible room unclean, unclean, like all these things. So it is important to get right. But recently we've been booking for our next holiday and, I think you pretty much can't find any place anywhere that doesn't have a one star, a many many one star reviews, because yeah. there's just so many people traveling right yeah. you now. So it's a bit of a minefield, and ultimately, it's a game of chance. But you yeah. can help you can help your odds, I think, by doing the old sort by worst. And on
0: Booking, I've gotten to the point where the four point two on Google for me on Booking has basically become a nine, yeah, because mm-hmm. like I've had so many between eight and eight point eight where. Mm-hmm. For sure, the pictures didn't match up. So oh, yeah. one, I say never look at the pictures because they're that's they're never yeah. really user uploaded actually on booking.com. It's actually the hotel putting them. Yep. Yep. I've been to a place in Malaga once where they had a picture of a pool. Uh, and then when we went down to the lobby, having just arrived, it was quite warm. Uh, how do we get to the pool? And they're like, oh, no, no. Uh, it's the neighbor's pool. Oh, it was the neighbor's sh- pool, which wasn't even a hotel. They just cheeky. took a shot of it from above. That is very like, cheeky. And that's when then I end up having to be the bad guy and going Mm, and giving mm. these guys, you know,
1: a 3 out of 10 or whatever. Well, that is is deserved in that case. That's unreal the only other thing i noticed on booking just the last couple of days is watch out for when you're reading the reviews because they have no time frame whatsoever they, they'll be from like oh nine i was looking at a review and one of the complaints was uh, there was no ipod doc in this in this <laughs> hotel room and i was like ipod what year is this but then actually they they literally will put reviews from 12 13 years ago and just uh, keep them and those contribute to the score too right so there's a degree of like recency you need to look into as yeah, well things yeah. can change in 10 12 years yeah. you know but yeah what a minefield and
0: uh the fun thing and this could be something for for the listeners to also partake in and uh, and send in uh, my brother showed me this actually last year is uh stupidly I had never thought of it there's google reviews for everything yeah so you can go into google maps and click on the local hospital and <laughs> yeah. see the type of bad reviews that are made exactly. there like shocking you can click on the the football stadium in the town you're visiting and have there's like complaints about the toilets, you know, not functioning properly, find, like yeah. how diluted the beer was. There is, it it is an amazing, like if you're ever, you know, lost for time, stuck in traffic, whatever, mm, mm. flight is delayed, go into Google Maps and click on the most mundane things on the map and scan to the reviews. It's an amazing and sort Sort by worst, you're going to have a good time. It's fantastic. But sometimes even sort by best because... Mm there'll be people that were super passionate about their experience at the local skateboard park or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, it may yeah. be, or
1: the local uh, jewelry shop or furniture shop. Like it's 100%. really uh, I mean, yeah. we're closing in on the black future or the black mirror future where we will all have reviews of ourselves, you know, where uh, you and I will be walking around with social sc- social credit scores, I guess you would call it. Yeah. Where I'm a 4.5, you're a 4.8. And if I screw you over or something, you're like... Yeah, hey, negative social As credit.
0: long as the podcast is on five stars.
1: That's the main thing. That's you the know? main thing. Yeah. Please, listener, <laughs> you can, can, can hear. Hide. We're asking. We're really asking now. <laughs> no, we're not desperate.
0: It's We all can good. hide behind that. But I say, let's uh, at some point, maybe next episode, we come back with
1: some of those uh, reviews yeah. because that vanity is right within our uh, swings. Do you know what could be good, actually, if we bring the review but then make it so you have to guess what the thing is? Is it yes, like a football stadium? Or, yeah, yeah. Okay. We've just sweet, developed sweet, 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 sweet. more brilliant Another content. IP. Yet oh my again. God. Shut
0: it down. Keep it going. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, listeners, we've got a treat lined up for you. We're going back to the film and TV side, this time discussing film cliches and tropes.
1: listeners we are back i liked how you started with listeners and not ladies and gentlemen that's a, a more inclusive term so i'm going to use that too listeners. i didn't even realize yeah that. you did yeah, it was nice we would
0: be excluding all the boys and girls and yeah. senior citizens maybe not as to well. mention
1: people yeah. who don't identify as either lady or gentleman yes so, yeah. very true it's actually better very so let's true. go listen Definitely. we're pretty sure everyone listening is listening so that's right <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> you can't, can't really go wrong you can't really listen without listening so yeah very inclusive so uh we're back and it's we're one ready of the smartest things you've said all week which is saying something so we are back here to talk about as mentioned cliches now cliches are an interesting one they're they're the subject of a lot of discussion primarily i would say online on the internet Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. people's tolerance for cliches can really vary and sometimes really uh yeah, be quite low, let's say. I'm okay with cliches in general. So before before I hear a little bit from you about what you think on, on film cliches, TV cliches, I thought we might just touch in on what is a cliche? And actually, where does the word come from? Because it is obviously French. I mean, anyone mm-hmm. who reads it go, that's probably French, but I didn't really know actually what, what it would mean and why that, that is the, the word for it. So I'll just quickly jump into that. So the word cliche, it's a French term and it actually dates to the early 19th century. And at that time, when it was first introduced, Uh, It means to produce or print in stereotype. So basically it's control Mm. C, control V before we had, you know, modern terminology for that. It's copy paste basically is what it means. Uh, But what does a stereotype mean? Because uh, I use that word selectively here. I'm not talking about stereotype as we mean it today. It's a physical object, a stereotype. A stereotype at that time was a printing plate that was used to create abundant versions of the same design so like the printing press that we all know about from the, the mm-hmm. uh, renaissance and the start of the we'll yeah. yeah exactly exactly so that was uh that was what uh, the stereotype was um printers when they were using that stereotype they heard a clicking sound during the process i'd say among others that thing was probably pretty noisy if i can yeah. uh, if i can imagine uh but that clicking sound uh, is the french uh, cliche which is like an onomatopoeic word to mm. click okay and there you go cliche was born there we are so it's actually quite a a term quite based in history and very related to arts and culture or to pop culture even which is uh yeah all linked to um to mass production and uh mm-hmm. how concepts got reused and now of course we it it means when we see something that we feel like we've probably seen before, whether that's a character type or something that happens in a movie, a plot point, uh, what have you. So before we get into it in any more detail, I was interested to start by just asking, where do you stand on cliches?
0: Well, oftentimes when somebody tells me something, I might react like, oh, that's a cliche, you know? And what I really mean by that, I think is that's a false cliche, right? So Mm, that's a uh... cliche that might have been rooted in reality at one point but hasn't really moved with the times right a
1: common misconception exactly so
0: i don't mean it necessarily when i use it in my colloquial vocabulary as a positive or affirming thing it's Mm. more as a contrarian thing now having said that the other approach would be well cliches exist for a reason and Mm -hmm. there are plenty of true to form uh cliches so we probably should stray away from that cynical view at yeah. all times of the cliché, right? I
1: think that's a great way to start this off, actually, because probably when you read the title of this episode, you might think, oh, the guys are going to dump on clichés for an hour. But no, mm-hmm. actually, we talked about how there are positive clichés. There are ones that we love, actually. Right. And as you see, we'll get into it. There are some that we're big fans of, and if anything, we'd like to see more of. Yeah. So clichés can be positive, they can be negative, and we, we'll get into maybe some examples of that. Absolutely. But uh, without further ado, it sounds like you're you're somewhat positive on cliches, or you're you're kind of neutral. Neutral. I'm, territory. I'm lukewarm. Mm-hmm. You know, are there any that that really just grind your gears straight away?
0: Well, there's. I mean, anything I think which is too based on let's say a racial or ethnic stereotype Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. you see you see a lot of these but and they keep going even though maybe it hasn't moved to the time those for me a lot of them are the ones kind of verging on the Mm -hmm. on being a bit lazy
1: even when we talk about film and tv when it comes to screenwriting yeah and i I think actually these days in 23 any script that comes out now is much, much less likely to have that kind of racial stereotyping sure. as a cliche, but it's hard to avoid it. If you go back even 10, 15 years, you're going to see plenty of examples of racial right. stereotyping all through film and TV. Right. And there's, there's
0: other ones. I mean, even, you know, my beloved Martin Scorsese, mm-hmm. basically Wolf of Wall Street, taking it to one extreme where every single investment banker is an absolute cokehead, right? Exactly. And it's, there's a satirical aspect, but then mm. you're like, okay, was that a bit of a shortcut, you know, mm-hmm. for for entertainment's sake, uh, yeah. by by using those cliches? They exist for a reason. They're rooted in reality,
1: but then. You know how much do we universalize the cliche? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the question. But I think then, without further ado, let's have a look at not quite cliches, but things that we suspect are on their way to becoming cliches. Yes. I thought this might be a nice way to intro into the topic. So there's a few things I've noticed, trends in film and TV that I think in five, ten years we're going to look back on and be like, oh, another one, really. Mm. Now we're not quite there yet, but maybe we're getting there. So the first one. And I, I almost feel bad saying it after the Oscars is storylines that contain a multiverse of any kind. <laughs> and actually there's already yeah. a lot. Like I know everything everywhere all at once has kind of mainstreamed it. Right. But there have been many examples. Uh The Marvel Universe has really gone mad for it. Yeah. And almost everything they release at some point now has a reference to a multiverse of some yeah. kind. Thanks to Doctor Strange movies. But like it's... It's extreme, and already I'm rolling my eyes anytime Marvel talks about multiverses.
0: Yeah, anytime Marvel talks. For exactly. That matter at this exactly.
1: Point. Yeah, I think yeah. everyone's really over the hill on Marvel. <laughs> that could be its own subcategory. Yeah. But also there's that show Rick and Morty which also yeah. has, has kind of died a death. But that one leans heavily on the whole multiverse thing and oh it's me from a different universe and blah blah blah. It's a crutch it's using to pull itself back. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And maybe it all comes from how audiences today don't have a high tolerance for like non-scientific magic in in mm. film and TV where it's like oh he he's a time traveler. We don't like that, but we do like oh it's from a multiverse because yeah. it like gives it a bit more legitness, you know.
0: Yeah. And, And complexity, right? Because none of us actually have delved deeply enough into the multiverse in the last year and a half since it's gone mainstream exactly. to truly understand it right or even what the hell zuck is doing at facebook uh, that that complexity kind indeed. of gives it legitimacy right and
1: pretty much we're tagging verse onto the end of everything now yes. whether it's meta or multi or what have you and just saying ah oh, it's an ai multiverse <laughs> and you're just like okay cool yeah great that kind of died a death though i feel like the metaverse thing with with uh with mark i think is on its way out i don't think that yeah. got the traction oh no, you're
0: mark with him okay I, ca- I call him zuck but you know
1: oh yeah more first name terms but uh another one and one I'm I'm quite sick of actually already covid references oh now. yeah i I had it's it's insane how quickly i got tired of this one because we had covid and we all went to film and tv as a way of kind of dealing with it you know of passing the time when we were at home and what have you and it wasn't long before our film and tv started talking about covid mm -hmm. and there's like humor about it even Mm -hmm. and the the most egregious example i have is knives out the glass onion one where all the characters are masked up at the very start and they do all these classic things of like do we elbow or do we like yeah. you know oh i'll uh, keep my mask on yeah. like it and already i'm just like cringing through time as i watch yeah. it i'm just like this is absolutely yeah. so dull Lazy, and i don't right? care yeah. yeah and just like not, funny. Yeah, and, like not funny a little bit too soon i'm not being like you know all um angry about it i just think it it just isn't funny like it's not a topic with a lot of humor in it
0: nor very interesting yeah um it's it, it's quite a boring type of apocalypse, mm. in a sense, yeah. if you want to say. There's not much more to delve into exactly. that we haven't already been inundated by in the last three years through the news. In fact, I think my trigger point on this coming into film and TV was quite low. Because mm. it's not like everything has had it. That I, most things haven't alluded to COVID. It's kind of True. been like ignored. You're not yeah. having yeah. films with people, having masks, etc. Um, but those few things that did it, I was already checked out yeah right that's all it took, and I yeah. think it's just like I don't know i if if you're gonna do like a documentary ten years from now, that's one thing you Maybe. know yeah, but that's something totally different like true.
1: In general, actually, even a documentary, I would just not watch. I'm like that topic is so dead to me. I'm like, yeah, we've really yeah, lived it. Right? I had enough. So, yeah, 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 exactly.
0: Maybe for our kids' generation or exactly. whatever. Yeah, they, they might be
1: interested. Well, they won't be able to sit through even a 30 minute episode or something uh, anymore. TikTok, whatever comes after TikTok. Jeez, <laughs> I'm worried. Uh, one more, one more before yeah. we jump into the meat, right? Uh, and we've talked about it on at least two previous episodes, but I thought it was good just to mm-hmm. hammer it home one more as it's one that I think we all need to be vigilant for and we need to be critical of when we see it, and that is the tech bro villain in TV and Mm -hmm, film. mm -hmm, Yeah, It's lazy, it's derivative, it's uninteresting, it's obvious, I want it to stop can we not find any other villains than a tech bro who founded a company when he was in university? The worst. You know, who has like grandiose ideas of how he might save the world, but is going about it the wrong way, has to be stopped. So many, many examples, a lot in superhero Mm. movies. We saw Don't Look Up, obviously with uh, the kind of amalgamation of many different ones. Lex Luthor in the newer Batman versus Superman movie was uh, Jesse Eisenberg playing a a tech bro once again after right. having played Mark, uh, in the social network. Also glass onion. We had Ed Norton playing uh, a yeah. cool, uh, dumb tech bro. And yeah. wow. Whoa. What a surprise. He turned out to be stupid, you know? So, okay. <laughs> and I did say at the start of the episode, we weren't going to be too negative and now I'm properly dunking on. You love it uh, though. Yeah.
0: I, I think there's an aspect there. If I temper your negativity, Please of it, do. Maybe, that it is a natural evolution. So there is always, I think for, for each generation, uh, there is that evil magnate, whether mm. it was the media mogul at one point that got portrayed in films or uh, the Gordon Geckos, you know, the, the Wall Street side of things or the oil baron, right? Mm. Mm. Now, where the wealth is concentrated and where the companies with the biggest market cap mm. are the tech companies. So I think they come more into the crosshairs when it comes to to making you know mm. satire or whatever it may be about the
1: the corporate villain let's say yeah. now that's the arena probably and it, I probably the public sentiment is quite negative like i think right absolutely gone are the days when we all thought elon was a badass or we thought jeff bezos was super cool you know mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of seeing these people for what they are now these days
0: we're very cynical about it and probably our cynicism is is rooted in in the right place
1: yeah. Oh absolutely. Yeah. Oh I'm not questioning that. Right. But then it does kind of raise the question of if you were writing a blockbuster right now where else do you go I, I know I I know. I did say like yeah. you know can we not find another villain but I think it, we have to go back to you know some other rival world power you know the head of state of some dictatorial regime or something you know Yeah. that I think would be more get interesting get the
0: North Koreans back in
1: yeah or a fictional you know fictional country with uh, yeah. a dictator at the helm you know yeah. that, that to me would be more interesting at least like
0: those <laughs> shows that uh, they say oh there's been a revolution in and they take the name of yeah. an African country and just add east before it so oh. then they So it's like in East Ghana, and then probably 80%
1: of the people watching think East Ghana is actually a real country. Over their heads, yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, where they go to (laughs) Bulgaria, which is a phenomenal name for a country. And for years, of course, I thought Vulgaria existed, and I was like, "Geez, that looks uh... actually it looked lovely on the film." Yeah. Other than the child catcher and the overall, you know, unpleasantness, yeah. need to go watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Actually, that was uh... that was uh, definitely a classic. That's a That's, banger, yeah, what, from the sixties. Yeah. yeah, and Dick Van Dyke, who is still going at age ninety eight and just got remarried, he's in it. What a chance! As the lead, unbelievable. Legends of the game. Speaking of, <laughs> absolutely, but. That was uh, <laughs> I think it's just a really interesting uh, broad sweep there through the current trends. So also interested for the listener, if there are any we've missed, any they're sick of seeing already, where they're seeing a lot of trends that they think are already becoming a little yeah. bit cliched. There's others out there for sure, so interested to hear. But without further ado, What I think we should get into is the meat of this episode, which is character cliches in particular. Now, cliches, as you heard at the start, can cover many different things. It can be plot, it can be uh, setting, it can be um, all sorts. You can see I'm I'm running out of other ones. But in any case, (laughs) uh, what it can also include is characters. And when we were talking about this episode, it seems like the character cliches is actually a super interesting one. because with a little bit of research and a little bit of thinking, you can actually find some that are very, very common, but just not immediately obvious. So what I thought we would do is have a go through, we have four here, I think, yeah, four, five. maybe five. Yeah, five, exactly, which I think are super funny and, and at least a little bit interesting. Yeah, And I'm interested to hear from you, sir, As to what what your take on them is, what do you think, is it a a good trope or a bad trope or Mm -hmm. a good cliche or a bad cliche? Is it a cliche at all? All of these kind of questions. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. looking for your reflections and I'll, I'll maybe give my own as well with a couple of examples. So does that sound good? Absolutely. Let's go for it. There we go. So let's start with the first one. And this is uh, probably the most abstract one to start with, but I'm going to talk to you about the non-existent antagonist, Ooh. which is a growing trend I think in film, although also goes back a long way. Mm-hmm. For anyone who's uh, very confused about what I just said, antagonist, if if you really don't know, it's um it means the villain of a film, basically. The in in the plot, it's the thing or the person that is like driving the negative conflict against the protagonist. The, the protagonist yeah, foil, exactly, right. yeah. However, there are many examples of films where there is no antagonist, mm-hmm. and it sounds almost uh, strange to think, but no, there are many. So here's a few examples: Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, mm. where uh, Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey are kind of just their own two protagonists who are kind of against each other, but also not. And yeah, right. you could argue the memory white people are kind of antagonists, but they're not really because they they have no stakes in it. You know, it's. Uh, It's a little bit confusing. Also a confusing movie. Castaway, where uh, Hanksy finds himself on an island where there is no antagonist there other than, I guess, himself or the island itself, maybe. Or Wilson, his beach ball. Him and Wilson are best buds, though. That's That's true. Definitely not an antagonist. I would accept if Wilson had some kind of ulterior motives, then maybe he could be an antagonist. But no, certainly not. And then to stay on the Tom Hanks topic, Forrest Gump. And like I Mm. talked about, I think it was in episode one or two, I am not... A stan of uh, Forrest Gump. And I think this is partly why, because that film is so uncentered, so scattered, so Mm. all over the place. And it's because I think it's missing an antagonist.
0: Well, I would say Hanksy's character, Forrest Gump, he's basically the device through which we see the second half of 20th century American Mm, history, mm.
1: right? So it's kind of documentary vibes, kind of. So
0: I I don't know their... Yeah, there's definitely not an an antagonist per se, but I don't mm. think I don't think that film needed one. Of course, we're very divided on mm. on this film. For me, yeah. not that it's a great cinematic exploit by Zemeckis, but mm. maybe it's something that because it was close to me during my childhood, I, I always loved the film, mm. but mm. I don't think it needs the the antagonist per se. I mean, would that film be better if for example there were you tell me more bullying scenes while he's uh he's a child or whatnot like mm, i don't know or
1: in the military when he's there he's I just kind of the hero right if, if i can offer and like i have no authority to be doing this at all but if i can offer my critique it would be that the character has nothing driving him for a lot of the movie you know he's just kind of doing whatever yeah absolutely and sometimes that can be interesting um the catherine de rye i think is a great book where uh holden caulfield you know spends the whole book doing basically nothing right and it's interesting but i think for Forrest Gump, i think i'm missing like what does he want what is he what is mm. he trying mm. to do here like what's mm. what's actually going on and okay. what are the stakes you know and maybe that's just me being a little bit simplistic in my needs you know but in any case that's probably what, what i would look to if i was gonna try and punch up the script i would probably look for like just something to kind of drive him forward and like make him want something and if that's a slightly more uh, antagonistic character, then so be it. Okay. Okay.
0: I see. We'll come back to, at some point in a future episode, I want you to
1: pitch the antagonist
0: of Forrest Ooh, Gump 2.
1: I think that can only end in disaster, but I'm open to it. I'm open to it in any case. But the only point I was going to make here, and there's a few more examples, Into right. the Wild is a good one, but yeah. the only other, the only point I was going to make is, like I struggle to think of a movie I absolutely love where there is no antagonist, actually. Mm. if because what if i think of my favorites like no country for old men anton Shagur, straight away yeah you absolutely
0: know? a very clear one yeah right?
1: yeah yeah and maybe i'm a sucker for a good antagonist but like for me it's it's crucial for, mm. for something to have like a, a proper conflict mm.
0: i think it's an interesting trope because you can still have plenty of conflict mm. without the antagonist yeah and there's different angles to approach it from so one of them can really be in the person's head mm. how much do they get in their way Or are they imagining things? I mean, think of A Beautiful Mind, for Mm -hmm, example. mm -hmm. John Nash, like, he's just absolutely killing it. But his antagonist is his own kind of mental illness, you know, schizophrenia, I I think it was, right? And that's a brilliant film.
1: Through. And right. it reminds me of The Theory of Everything. I mean, Stephen Hawking, where yes. his main antagonist is actually motor neuron disease, or like uh, his his, uh, his Ill- illness, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Here's one for you. Would you
1: put Fight Club in this category? I just thought of it now as we mm. were talking through it. I would say no, because I know that Ed Norton – and spoilers, by the way, for Fight Club – but I know that uh, Tyler Durden is not uh, is the same person as the narrator mm-hmm. and we find that out at the very end but i do think that he serves the role of an antagonist for basically the whole film mm-hmm. and it goes from being a, a friend of the protagonist to being an antagonist yeah. basically and yeah. he ends up having to kill him basically that's you don't the, know when you're yeah.
0: watching it for the first time yeah. that so your enjoyment
1: yeah. is not hindered by the fact that okay. we're missing an antagonist that's us yeah. it yeah. is interesting though a twist ending is always good yeah know? So here's another one for you. Another angle from which
0: to approach this one is the characters getting in each other's or their Mm, own ways mm, without mm. any need to.
1: And that's what we see every week on Succession. Exactly, exactly. Which is a obvi- that's a series where you could point to it and say Logan, obvious antagonist, right? right? But a lot of the time, he's actually just doing his own thing. Yeah. If you and he's not, deeper, yeah, and he's yeah. not even that interested, really, in what the kids are up to. No, what he has done oh, time and again is just find it the easiest way to mess them up, basically to yeah. stop whatever they're trying to do and to sell the company to Gojo or whatever. And beyond that, he's like, yeah, you guys do whatever. Like literally, you're not serious people. Go, go do whatever you're interested in. Just yeah. keep it out of my sight, you know. Yeah. So actually, an interesting antagonist in that sense and as you say the main problem with succession especially now this season is the sibs just somehow sabotaging each other either intentionally or unintentionally at every turn
0: exactly exactly
1: so that's an interesting one
0: there you go so, well yeah
1: the the absent or the non-existent antagonist thought it was an interesting one it's to very
0: interesting i think there's a lot
1: to to dig deeper in there as well exactly exactly but i think we can jump on to another we have a few to, to yeah, get through and uh, this next one i think wins the the prize for best name of a <laughs> of a cliched character and big shout out to tvtropes.org for these because uh the I lads would have, would have been lost without them they're great for not only the names of these cliches but also linking it a bit to uh yeah what which films are actually mm-hmm. ticking the box right so first and foremost Crouching moron, hidden badass, is the name of the cliche, uh, and what this is describing a bit like a bit like it sounds. Uh, this is somebody who, on the surface, seems like an idiot, but mm-hmm. then becomes magically extremely competent at a key moment in the film. And the classic example, you it almost would merit being called after this character. Also, is Jar Jar Binks from Star Wars Episode yep. One, yeah, never to be seen again, has a bit of a cult following online. Jar Jar, there's a theory, uh, a running fan theory that Jar Jar is actually the the Sith lord oh wow okay. uh, and that's it, deep. apparently all the signs are there if you go back and watch episode one you know <laughs> <Yeah>. but anyway <laughs> of course they are but if you remember jar jar our key moments in the in the war on naboo he just suddenly becomes really really useful or kind of stumbles his way into being useful so that's yeah. a big one similar one peter in the power of the dog a film we all loved but then instantly forgot about actually uh, yeah. on netflix
0: was uh was a netflix was nominated
1: for a couple oscars i think last nominated year? for best yeah. picture yeah yeah i think even picked up a couple of awards yeah along jesse the Plemons. Yeah, yeah. Put in a good, uh, good shift. Kirsten Dunst also. Yeah. Benedict Kirsten Cumberbatch, Dunst. not yeah, to be the forgotten. Comber. Yeah, the Cumber. Yeah, the Batman. So the son Peter in that film is introduced as a bit of a, not like disabled, but just being a little bit dumb or a little right. bit slow, you know. And then it's only as the film goes on, and again, spoiler warning, but it's as the film goes on. I'll avoid, I'll avoid pure avoid. spoilers here. Yeah. Where I'll just say, you know, it, it turns out that he's uh, far from dumb, and in fact, quite uh, intelligent. You know. There you go. Uh, another fun example, Waymond in Everything Everywhere All at Once. A very good example. And again, multiverse theory coming into it a bit. And yeah. maybe he's not an idiot in every universe, and that's the explanation. But still, he's introduced as a clumsy, Ophi kind of character and then becomes a badass through the movie. And then finally, Pumbaa in The Lion King. Okay, sure. Because so, yeah. Pumbaa spends the whole movie being a big, fat warthog. And yeah. then only in the final little fight scenes where he gets the chance to prove himself against the hyenas does he actually kick some ass. Yeah. So, what do you think of this trope
0: i like it um it can be it is not easy to execute in a creative way right mm-hmm. let's say um, another one going back to Forrest Gump would be Bubba and yeah. Forrest Gump, yeah, yeah, right? That true. would be a classic. He's just talking about shrimps and all of this. Mm-hmm. And then what you realize is this guy was well ahead of the, of the shrimping industry and mm. would have made a yeah, killing had yeah, he, yeah. had he survived Vietnam. In fact, Forrest ends up making that killing for him together with Lieutenant Dan. Damn.
1: Um,
0: another one chief in one flew over the cuckoo's nest
1: oh yeah hadn't thought of that and haven't seen that movie in a while yeah Yeah. the guy
0: pretends to be a dumb deaf mute Mm. and he's got everyone tricked and by the end spoiler alert the movie's from the 70s so Mm. you should have seen
1: it by now yeah he's the one that escapes exactly yeah and uh meanwhile jack ends up with a frontal lobotomy for being too smart
0: well and actually uh it's chief that suffocates him with a pillow to put him out of his misery right before escape
1: which is what he would have wanted yeah we can exactly Yeah, yeah
0: so that's a that's a good one again. Like tackled in a in a different way, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. You, somehow, even within that universe of the insane asylum, mm. you're the first time you see it, you're like, "Whoa,
1: okay." But actually, I think that's yeah. one of the best examples. got Like, gotta be, it's right? super yeah. strong. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: kind of on this one, Jake Gyllenhaal's character in Zodiac, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the 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 cartoon uh, writer who then ends up going full on and and finding the Zodiac character mm-hmm. and has this kind of hidden detective skills right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. tell me if this one is correct jonah hill and moneyball yeah or is that a
1: stretch that is a bit tricky because he's introduced as socially awkward for sure yes low confidence right yeah but almost from the word go we're shown that he's super good with numbers yeah that's true so he doesn't it doesn't they they waste no time in getting him to show how he's badass you know Mm -hmm, so -hmm. to really fit into this category i would have said he needs to spend like 80% 80% of the film bumbling along and then mm-hmm. only in the final crucial moments, you know, prove himself to be a badass.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fair, fair. Yeah, because we know right away, hey,
1: this guy's a Harvard grad or whatever mm-hmm. and that probably kind of... But on the, on the Jonah Hill topic, if you think about um, Superbad, I would say, I would say McLovin kind of fits into this category actually. Yeah. In a very, in a very specific way. In a twisted teenager type of way. Yeah. Yeah. Because he spends the whole film, you know, being mocked and jeered, but actually he turns out to be the most successful of the three when it comes to, uh, yeah, the ladies. McLovin. Absolutely. (laughs) A classic. So we like that one. We like Crouching Moron, Hidden Badass. I I like,
0: uh, Crouching Moron, Hidden Badass. I like the name especially. Yeah, Yeah. I
1: think that's probably the best thing about it. So yeah, we can uh, yeah. we can jump on. Should I keep rattling on? I mean, you have a list keep here as well. Do you want to take the baton or should I just Yeah. Work, I mean, on?
0: so we have here the sympathetic inspector antagonist, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And this is very much the, you know, so if we have the when we have the anti-hero, right? So the Tony Sopranos of the world, the Walter Whites, right? Mm-hmm. It's who is, you know, investigating them, who's trying to, to get yeah. them down from from the authority side, right? Mm-hmm and you know the sympathetic aspect is it's not your classic bad cop right
1: yeah, yeah. and that's what i kind of like about this one mm-hmm. yeah i love it and actually let's start with that one with hank from uh, from breaking bad yeah. because first you have to answer the quandary of is walter the protagonist or the antagonist of breaking bad like is he the is he the is he the main character or is he the villain of the piece you know because pretty much all the way through he's morally reprehensible and doing basically nothing we can approve of
0: yeah but that's what uh tony soprano made a possibility in yeah. tv is yeah. that you are the protagonist as the anti-hero mm. so we twistedly are sitting on the couch at home mm. in a way kind of cheering
1: for the bad guy and that but makes you? them the yeah. protagonist do you find that say with walter or with, with tony do you ever find yourself watching kind of cheering for them i wouldn't say cheering but you'd you do have very complex feelings yeah. about the person. Yeah, there's Whereas an, uh, it, an affection yeah. there. Yeah, of. if yeah. they were just
0: yeah. presented as the criminal in the background mm. and you didn't get into their reason for doing things or mm. their their character traits more generally, uh, their relationships, then it would be so much easier to, yeah, we always go for the good guys, right? But yeah. Those yeah. They
1: did those jobs so well. That They kind of are the protagonist, which... Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they get the most screen time. So of course you could argue that. But I think actually Walter does have, just to get off the topic for a tiny second, Walter does have a moment in season one or two, you know, where he becomes Heisenberg and he gets Tuco or somebody and he's Mm -hmm. like, say my name, you know, that Mm -hmm. whole thing. I think that's a moment where you're actually cheering for him where he, he someone says, you're Heisenberg, and right. then he says, you're goddamn right. He's arrived. yeah. He's a badass. And right? the episode ends on that note. It's like, that's cool, you know? But then it's only in season four or five of Breaking Bad where you're like, okay, hold on a sec. This guy is absolutely reprehensible. <laughs> so anyway, back on the Hank Schrader train. So he's a great example of someone who basically we like all the way through, although I found him kind of annoying as well, like just as a you know he, he very maybe just his personality would grate on me like if i met him in real life he would very much grate on me as well mm, probably yeah but i do find him broadly sympathetic very virtuous kind of a of an antagonist so he fits mm-hmm. the list i think another one i wanted to to flag was raquel Morillo from uh casa de papel ah,
0: yes yes i got
1: it great i only example. saw the first
0: 2 seasons but so i can, remember you can her. stop there yeah.
1: yeah yeah so it gets worse as it goes on okay, but I she's a great example because like we're cheering for el profesor and his team of uh of heist the merchants, the anti hero again, yeah, exactly. Great yeah. example. So, I guess, yeah, they go hand in hand yeah, with the anti yeah. But Professor, I have to say, is the most likable uh mm-hmm. villain you could ever pick. Like, he's such a great the actor is fantastic, but also the character is super mm-hmm. well written, I think. Mm-hmm. But in any case, Raquel, even before the romantic uh kind of side note that, that develops. Uh, it was just such a well-written character you know she had like, a complex backstory she wasn't straightforward but she was like super sympathetic you always cheered for her she was having to fight against the corruption of her own police department in many times so it was like she had many battles to fight and win you know so i thought she was a great example like, actually probably a good show yeah one of my favorite now not a film i've i've seen a lot of uh catch me if you can i think yeah. i've seen i've seen bits but not all of yeah. it kinda. but tom hanks in that he's a he's an antagonist right
0: yeah but he's on the on the good side of history let's say mm. right yeah mm. Uh, so do you, does so Leo is the quote-unquote bad guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
1: we cheer for Leo for sure. In yeah, the, definitely. Yeah. So what? What do? You, how do you think they handled Tom there? Or do you think he could have been a bit nastier actually to make the film a bit more compelling?
0: I think it only worked because it was Tom. So yeah. that folksy type of vibe, type mm-hmm. of you know, I'm gonna outwit, outsmart this guy without throwing a chair at him in the interrogation room or whatever. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Only because it's Tom Hanks. I, I think don't think anybody true. else could
1: pull it off. I think that's probably true. Yeah. Because otherwise, Leo would have just absolutely stolen every scene, right? So you, you need a tight opposite yeah. to
0: go toe to toe, but in in a very different way than what you would expect. So not mm. the, let's say uh Pacino versus De Niro in Heat. Mm. Definitely not, quite, not that type uh, of type, uh, no, right? no, 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 yeah. that's for sure.
1: No, so catch me if you can. Probably an okay example. Mm-hmm. And then I had one as well of a terrible movie, Ocean's Twelve. I don't know if you saw that, but of course. Almost just appallingly bad like is it that bad you go back yeah, yeah. because i uh, i'm a big fan of oceans 11 i've yeah. watched it like i say seven or eight times uh great little background movie you know classic but uh catherine zeta jones role in oceans 12 she comes across very well she, mm. she does a good job she's okay. her best with it i would say she is a uh, sympathetic inspector antagonist i just think it's an absolutely awful awful movie yeah. i really have no time for it at all i
0: gotta go back
1: it's on HBO. They've just added all of them on HBO. Okay. So yeah. um, I don't recommend it, but okay. if you do, you you know. Yeah. Did uh, you uh, Did you have any more? Uh, I'm gonna throw back
0: to to one of our favorite series here, The Wire. Mm-hmm. Bonnie Colvin and Carver.
1: That's a big one. Yeah. How about Bunny, that, Bonnie? Bonnie, 100. Yeah. Yeah. Bonnie is like. Flawless, basically, as a right. guy. His only character flaw is going outside the rules. You know. Yeah. That he's he's doing things that and he. And then again, shouldn't. you know. Which is yeah, it's he big. goes
0: by the natural law.
1: Yeah. yeah. Amsterdam of natural police. Natural police. He's good police. Yeah. Carver is a great one though because it's not immediately clear to us really, exactly. right? Exactly. It's only really like when Carver is really forced when he's put in a leadership position he has to make a choice that he chooses to be good you know yeah but it's exactly. a lot through and he he succumbs a bit to uh, temptation throughout season one and two and a little bit of three you know so i think that's a great example actually. yeah, yeah.
0: that's good so that's the sympathetic inspector antagonist i think it's it's very hit or miss with that one yeah not so, not our favorite actually no it sounds like yeah. definitely not um. so i got another one for you this is by our friends at uh at film tropes or tvtropes.org TV uh, yeah. they call this the defrosting ice queen to me
1: this is also known as the grumpy old man turned reluctant father figure that's category. perfect yeah so i like the i like the specificity here because defrosting ice queen is very broad that covers like basically yeah. everyone who starts off mean and gets nicer throughout exactly. but i like your one because a lot of the examples we've chosen are exactly that which yeah. is grumpy old man turned reluctant father figure <laughs> So yeah, let's go. Let's let's hit it.
0: Yeah, where to start? But Clint and Gran Torino.
1: Yeah, that's the classic, isn't it? Yeah. Get off my lawn. For the listener, he's doing the face here, and everything's squinting at me. Yeah.
0: I said, "Get off my lawn."
1: I don't want to watch that film again. I feel um... just watch that clip. It's one minute. Right, I, can, I, I, can, I can, it. can. Check it out on YouTube. Yeah, I think that film uh, is almost good, but just is missing a little bit. Of, yeah, yeah, a little bit of something. But a great example, right? So yeah. making your whole film basically about it, and that's. Pretty much all the film has to talk about, it, yeah. or a little bit of racism and a bit of other stuff. But right. basically, uh, Grumpy Old Man gets nice, you yeah, know? exactly. And who better but Clint, who, who actually personifies it? Who better? Yeah. I have to say, I think Clint is better, though, when he never gets nice, or like when right. he, he maintains his frosty uh, yeah. ex, ex, what's exterior. Yeah. Like a Million Dollar Baby, he's, he's yeah, sympathetic and, you know, um, empathetic, but he doesn't ever really get, like, fully warm and cuddly, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah, I got you. So and, I think,
1: yeah. and then I got another one for you along mm. those lines. Mm. Ooh ha! Yeah, now you've kind of <laughs> lost me because showing another gap in my film history oh, uh, no. catalog. Yeah, haven't seen. Okay, so Al Pacino in *Scent of a Woman*. He won the Oscar for that role. Wow! And he's
0: the very grumpy former war veteran, blind guy that this uh, this student basically has to be the caretaker for for a whole mm. weekend and, and they go very much on this journey both physically and and, and mentally mm. and he ends up taking the, the kid under his wing and I'm not gonna spoil too much because I really want you yeah, to see yeah, this I'll take it out yeah. your man rest in peace pour some out PSH ah, as a young okay. teenager or maybe he's in his 20s but
1: yeah. he's in the film as well okay damn Salt yeah, 100%. And it reminds me of Les Antuchabes. I uh, don't know if you saw that. The French of course. Uh, same Many vibe, times, right? Many At, at least, least seven times I've seen feels it. feels like a little bit of a rip, actually. Yeah. The scent of a woman. But yeah. anyway. Could be. There yeah. you go. But Executed brilliantly in French. Well, that's a good example. Yeah. You. Uh, we have loads of examples, actually. I, I would argue that Mad Max in Fury Road actually falls into this trope. The yeah. defrosting ice queen, right? Because mm. from the very start, mm. I mean, he doesn't say anything in, in the whole movie, basically. Right. But... Po- the whole point of that movie, or one of the points of that movie, is how he learns to care for others, you know, or how he sees the, the importance of saving others, not just himself, you know. So he goes from being a grunting, oafish, kind of boorish fellow to, by the end, at least, caring for other people around him, like Furiosa and the other, you know, the mothers and that that's kind of stuff. One. Yeah, that's a good one. So I think it fits. Yeah. And let's not forget Joel. Joel from The Last of Us. So, uh, I mean, we just finished watching it and it's probably uh, been overtaken by succession a little bit now in the pop culture uh, zeitgeist. But even still, Joel, both in the game and in the series, was very well played, I think, by starting just very gruff, very uh, cold, frosty. Who's this kid? Don't have any time for her. Absolutely. You're on your own, kid. Yeah. And then, of course, over the season, we start to see him opening up, relating back a bit to his uh, his own uh, deceased daughter, etc. Father figure. So there you go. Again, yeah. yeah. Grumpy old man becomes reluctant yeah. father figure.
0: And there's a corollary to this one, and that's fodder for probably for a later episode, mm. is the hard ass coach department, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And this is where we would have the J.K. Simmons character in Whiplash, mm-hmm. although he never really warms up, if I remember correctly. One scene, yeah, but it's fake, or it's like when they go to the jazz bar, and it's It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, yeah. Kurt Russell and Miracle, Uh the Hockey Classic, Uh and Samuel L. Jackson as Coach Carter.
1: You know, these are great. What would you think of the Mighty Ducks? Uh, Emilio Estevez is he harsh or does he kind of he he runs a tight ship, but I don't think he's like overly. uh,
0: I think that one is more. I don't know what to call it now, but it's more the redemptive arc of. A has been athlete.
1: Mm, mm, okay, yeah, he's not he's not grumpy as such. Like he's no, not. Yeah, no. and he's not old either. He's yeah, kind of exactly. Yeah. Wow, Emilio.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Night at the Roxbury. Absolutely. So yeah, that's uh Emilio. But then we have our final one, yeah. which is the Eeyore. <laughs> Tell me
1: about that. Yeah, that required some explanation, I think, when I uh, when I wrote that one down. So Eeyore, for those who may or may not remember, is uh, the grumpy donkey, I guess, from Winnie the Pooh. Mm. Maybe he has different I names. I definitely didn't remember that. Oh, but like, you'll remember him when you see him. If you ever oh, saw but, Winnie yeah. the Pooh, he's unforgettable. He's okay. the grumpiest little donkey you've ever seen. All right. He uh, is it basically shows signs of severe depression actually, like uh, throughout the, <laughs> like not not to put too fine a point on it, but like he is clearly troubled uh, and can only see the, the negative in everything. So what better character to name this the, this category after, the Eeyore, and we're talking here about characters who are just perennially negative and mm. not even necessarily sarcastic, and although a lot of them are, but definitely with a very dark negative outlook on the world. And I think anyone listening along will probably be able to name a few straight off the top of their head. We have a few here to throw out to start Mm -hmm. with. And one I'm a big fan of, and I don't think gets enough respect, is House MD.
0: Yeah, it came before the streaming era. It was, you know, network TV instead of an HBO or something, but it it had a huge following back then on the week to week. Yeah, and
1: I think Hugh Put in insane work for it because it, this was his first American accent role, which mm, he was. Yeah. He has said after he was never comfortable. He mm. always he always felt he was just one syllable away from messing up the accent. You know, yeah. so despite how natural he made it seem, and he seemed one hundred percent American, at least to me, uh, that was an example of like where he just completely nailed it and doesn't get the doesn't get the respect he deserves i think and you as a student of accents you know the game i think I've, i find myself talking about it a lot actually so it's maybe it's like um, your go-to when
0: you're describing yeah, yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. somebody's acting chops you're like oh and they really it's, pulled it's one off the, the same, american though. accent
1: i think no i think the reason is i'm just i have such immense respect for when they actually nail it yeah. you know because it's so hard to right. do it properly yeah.
0: you know and there are some where you feel you can hear it and it's usually like say it's a it's a british actress Going for the American accent, and let's say not an A-lister, mm. and you can feel by how they uh, finish mm. a word mm. that there's a bit of a cadence which is yeah. you know a bit off, and that yeah. flips back into they hit.
1: The, it's even just one letter; like they might hit the letter T a bit too hard. Yeah, so they're exactly. just saying, instead of saying like "I'm not," they'll yeah. say like "I'm not." I'm not. Honest, yeah, right? exactly. And yeah, and it's to, already it's a yeah. giveaway, you know. So anyway, big respect. Also, great acting. Let's not just say the it's accent; a, it was he humor. did a great job. Yeah. And then I think an obvious Eeyore at least from parts of it, is Kendall from Succession, you know?
0: Gotta be, right? I mean, whole seasons at a time. He's a zombie basically all of season two, and he becomes one again towards the end of season three, and probably we're going to have something again in season
1: four. I'm finding him pretty Eeyore-ish almost all the time now. Yeah. Like, even in this season, I mean, there's moments of flashes of kind of energy, but mostly he's like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. It's okay. You know, like, just kind of odd, you know. What's but. interesting
0: is the those two that you've mentioned so far, there's another red thread between them which is addiction.
1: Mm. Not too and maybe a little on the nose almost or yeah, yeah. maybe maybe that's like too simplistic a handling of a complex topic such as addiction, but still I'm right. with you. That is a yeah. that is a red thread. Just throwing that out. Yeah. yeah. And maybe there's more here as we'll see yeah. because uh one I one I wanted to drop in which doesn't have an addiction topic uh, as far as I know is Toby ziegler from the west Mm. so somebody who does have a, a heart you know and isn't isn't just a total you know ice queen as we talked about earlier yeah although his outlook and his quips and so forth are definitely on the negative side i mean the guy has almost nothing positive to say unless he really has to absolutely. and he never smiles exactly right but i do think that uh, richard schiff does an amazing job as him. Yeah. i think he absolutely nails it and pretty much everything richard schiff does i, I love so uh, yeah. no big respect for that even though the character is a little bit one track
0: i think that's good um now I interpret this one. Also, there is the subcategory of this one, which mm. to me is the alcoholic has been writer's blocked, allegedly brilliant writer.
1: Whoa. <laughs> that's that's broad, uh, broad category, yeah.
0: Which I threw out last week, right when I was mm. casting Matthew McFadden in my uh, apartheid uh, yeah yeah story yeah. right exactly. series. So here you have Hank Moody, played by David Duchovny in mm-hmm. Californication, mm-hmm. who when you rewatch that series he doesn't do anything for 7 years he writes one thing which gets stolen uh. and then he's just writer's blocked and alcoholic womanizer yeah. etc right uh. we have the robert downey jr character if we take the the newspaper side in zodiac right mm-hmm. which is just kind of textbook right uh, we have, of course, famously Jack Torrance in The Shining, played mm-hmm. by Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. who is actually very much based on Stephen King's own alcoholism yeah. early on in his which career, which he's been open with. Yeah, 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 exactly. And the interesting thing on this one, like, is that that's the cliche, right? Alcoholic writer, mm-hmm. and it's so cliched, true or false, that when you start to type in on Google, why are so many writers? The first thing you get into, like the the finishing results, is. Alcoholics.
1: Well, you know what they say. I'm not surprised. They say right. you should write drunk and edit sober, yeah. and uh, maybe an approach we should try on this podcast. <laughs> We've never quite gotten to that level, but uh, as far as they know, we'll keep it in the idea book. But a, a great example. I love the specificity of it. Yeah, and it is interesting how almost always a writer at some point in any series is depicted as being a little bit uh, off the wagon or yeah, a little yeah. bit into their into the booze. Yeah.
0: Going back to the general Ior, though, I think. We're going to see more and more of these tackled in more nuanced and new ways. Mm. As you know, let's say talking about mental health and these type of things is coming more uh into the mainstream and and less stigmatized etc i think we're gonna find new ways to tackle these these types of characters in the future and probably do Mm. them in much better ways than just the alcoholic rider for yeah
1: in fact you could argue you say sopranos was super ahead of its time for handling mental health in such a nuanced way because he goes through therapy the whole way through the series you know which is far more than you would have seen around that time. There was only a couple of other shows, I think, that had such a focus on mental health. In Treatment was one of them. True. Um, but yeah, in, in general, it's like it was handled in a much more kind of simplistic way, I think back yeah. then. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I think we'll start to see some more interesting portrayals of the many facets of mental health beyond just the usual I'm sad, you know? Yeah. So yeah, uh, exactly. I'm with you on that. But I like it as a trope. Yeah. I think uh, bring on more Eeyores. Yeah, bring
0: on more Eeyores and bring on more tropes and cliches. So we'd like to come back with new ones listeners write us in which ones are your favorites did we miss anything were mm. there some examples that we didn't include uh, are there different ways of looking at certain characters we'd
1: love to hear from you we think this topic is ripe for postulation as are many topics we talk about but this one in particular i'd love to hear any ones we missed especially any uh, any within those categories that we, that we actually didn't pick up would be super interesting absolutely
0: neil thank you for this
1: session it's been a pleasure nicole of opi absolutely